Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. We've got a great guest this weekend, but first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by The Secrets of Successful Syndication. If you've exhausted your own funds to invest in real estate, you've just brought your own investment career to a halt. Developing the skill to raise capital legally, reliably, and professionally might be just what you need to unlock the ceiling to your investment portfolio. This two-day workshop maps out how to transform your business into one where you enlist the help and capital of others to scale your portfolio. It's hosted by my good friends Robert Helms and Russell Gray of the Real Estate Guys radio show. They're such a class act. February 15th and 16th in Dallas, Texas. It'll be a chance for us to meet in person as well. For more information, go to victorjm.com slash events. That's victorjm.com slash events. And click on the link for the secrets of successful syndication. We are back here on the weekend edition. We've got a great guest this weekend, all the way from Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the show, Chuck Sutherland. Uh, Thank you. Glad to be here. So Chuck, you've done a lot of work in a number of different avenues. You've been a developer. You've built all kinds of different asset classes. Why don't you give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got into this crazy world of real estate investing? Well, when I was 20 years old, this uh, broker in town brought my dad and me a deal that was uh, for a piece of land that was along an area. He said that the, the uh, city was going to expand the road and uh, the property was for sale for 20000 and my dad put up 10000 I put up 5000 and the broker put up 5000 bought the land and 9 months later we sold it for $80,000 we bought it for 20 and sold it for 80 and uh, i was uh, at that moment i was addicted to real estate isn't that such a common story you know the first deal might be a very simple property and then you get hooked i got hooked yep Fast forward to today, you've done a bunch of different asset classes, self-storage, hotels, all kinds of different things. Uh, we'll probably spend the bulk of the time on self-storage, but tell us a little bit of the journey. How'd you get there? Well, I started out, um, uh, I, you know, after I, I got uh, made a little money on that property, I helped build a, a commercial building and we made a little money on that building. And then I started trying to do deals on my own. I Sometimes I made money, sometimes, sometimes I lost money. At one point in time, I decided I was going to start consulting. And particularly, I love the idea of, of uh, self-storage. So I went to a man in town who had really was a, one of the founders of the self-storage industry. And he gave me plenty of uh, research to do for, for sites he was looking at. And uh, demographic work, you know, like population and, and uh, site locations. And so I, I learned for... Uh, quite a few years. And then there was a time I came along, I just wasn't making very much money doing that. I was a single father. I was raising four kids and it was just really tough. And uh, I went back to my friend who had had me do consulting work for him. I told him I wanted to find a way to make more money. And sitting right there in his office, he offered me a partnership in his development company and we started looking for properties that had been foreclosed on or were in trouble. And we bought several properties, remodeled them, turned them around, added to them. And then we started building new projects, particularly in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And, and so I got started doing that. And then we built a lot of properties, remodeled a lot of properties. But we still own pieces of all those properties and uh, have uh, cash flow coming in on them. Every quarter we get 
get our check. So that was my self-storage journey. So the self-storage industry seems to have gone through a lot of transformation over the last several years. I'm by no means an expert in it, but my observation, you know, you've got the mom and pops. They're still out there. There's a lot of institutional money coming into storage and some larger real professional players that are coming in, buying and building large portfolios. What's your perspective? The industry has transformed dramatically over the last couple of years. There's been, at last 15 years, 20 years, there's been a lot of real estate investment trusts who raise enormous amounts of money and they go in and they buy property or sometimes they build properties, 100,000 square feet, big properties, new, modern, and uh, they don't have any mortgages against those properties. They're all free and clear. So they can come in, they buy a big property, they professionally manage it. They're never going to lose it no matter what the rates are. And so they have dominated uh, the development of the industry. In fact, there are people that build just to sell to them. And uh, then there's, but there's always this gap between where the big players want to be at, the, the glitzy kind of location, high profile along the freeways. They particularly like that kind of location. And yet there's places where people that use self-storage live where there many times aren't a lot of self-storage around or it's at least not convenient for them on their way to work or on the way, the way to shopping. So the industry has changed, but there's this, there's a continuing to be this gap. Now, what's also changed though in the industry is that it used to be that who rented self-storage was people who were primarily in apartments. And then when they moved, they would have a need for more, more space because they had moved all their stuff out of one place, moved into identically the same size space, but have stuff left over. And uh, it just how, the, how packing and moving works. The change has been that approximately 15% of all households now either use or have used self-storage. So there, there's a dramatic increase in the number of people. It's also a dramatic increase in the type of businesses who use storage. Used to be the plumber used it to keep, you know, his, his uh, pipe and his equipment in uh, and for so he didn't have to have a warehouse. But today you've got CPAs that use storage. You've got retail stores that use storage because they pay a lot of money in the retail. They'd rather have a small retail space and a self-storage space to store their products. So it's a lot of changes in who uses self-storage. How much of a factor is the aging of America, you know, people as they downsize, maybe move into a condo from the, from the old homestead in the suburbs, often have a lot more belongings than they can fit in that one or two bedroom condo, or maybe if they're moving into independent living, a lot of leftover stuff. How much is that a factor? It's a big factor and it's changed a lot. It, there, when the industry was young, there was uh, pe people by age, new storage mostly when they were younger and not so much when they were older. Today, we have so much stuff, and we don't throw stuff away. And many times people store stuff that's almost of almost no value, but they don't want to go to clean it out and, and get rid of stuff. So as we've become a, a, a country of savers and hoarders, to some great extent, the, uh, the older people tend to have a lot more stuff these days than they did. So if they go to assisted living, like you said, or they, they're going to move to a downsize their space, then they need more and more storage. It's one of the reasons the amount of storage per person is above seven square feet per person in the United States. It's probably closer now to nine. Wow. 
So that's a lot of space. And it's been basically tripled over the last 30 years. Fascinating. So from an investment strategy, what's the play? Are you looking for value-added plays? Are you looking to turn around distressed properties? What's your ideal transaction? Well, today it's shifted. It used to be uh, built new, but today the cost of uh, construction has dramatically increased because of the cost of steel, of the cost of labor. So today the, the play is to find properties that are not doing well. They're not well managed, what you said, mom and pop, but there's also places where people might own two or three properties and they don't have any kind of professional management. They don't have a real effective way to rent properties on the internet. They don't have uh, the kind of security, which I like to see in a property to protect people's goods. There's these mismanaged properties. And whenever there's a recession comes on, those properties go into foreclosure faster because they're not properly managed and the owners, you know, really haven't paid attention to maintenance. And they're the ones that go vacant first, you know, if you're not taking care of maintenance and other things. So I think the, the play today and what we look at today is mostly properties that are either not up to their full potential or mismanaged or financially not structured properly, high debt or high payments and, uh, or the owner who can't go borrow money against the property because they, their credit has been ruined for one reason or another. So the, the play is to look for properties that are for sale or in foreclosure or mismanaged and then buy those and turn them around. What about certainly industrial spaces? I'd say continent-wide shortage of industrial space right now as commerce has shifted more from storefront retail to e-commerce. Uh, we're seeing a lot of demand for warehouse space. Typically, is renting for about $12 a square foot, something like that on an annual basis. As a storage facility, if you were to repurpose that and build it out on the interior, what kind of rents can you get per square foot if you convert that to, say, highest and best use? Well, it depends where the location is. If it's warehouse space, it's near downtown where there's a resurgence of uh, population moving in and remodeling, you can get a very high rate. And it varies all across the country because, you know, California is a different market than Florida. And, and the Northeast has a lesser demand, but they, it has to be climate controlled. So there's this huge difference in the country. So there really is no rule of thumb. But there definitely is a switch in changing usages. And particularly even, uh, I'm seeing more of the change in the usage of retail properties, big retail boxes that have been uh, vacated by chains that either gone out of business or downsized. Those spaces are on good highways, good roads, and it's very simple process to refit that uh, building like that for storage because basically you've got a big open space. You've got this open space and mostly the interior that you would be retrofitting is partitions that you bring in, steel partitions you bring in and you you fit them in, they rivet together, and, and you end up with a storage space. It doesn't cost that much to do that. I mean, it costs money, but it doesn't cost anywhere near as much as new construction. So retail space that's vacant is now being repurposed to uh, self-storage. You know, we've seen a tremendous amount of growth in storage here in North America. One of the things that I've noticed, if I go to Europe, I see almost no self-storage anywhere. And I think about areas like the south of Portugal, where you've got a lot of Brits that own second homes there, they may want to rent those places out during parts of the year. They have no place to store their belongings in the off-season when those properties are out for rent. I think there should be a tremendous demand for that market. There's a real problem, and yet no one seems to be servicing it. I'm just stunned that it doesn't exist. What's your perspective? Well, I, I have a little opinion, uh, but it's, you know, storage is, uh, was originally, self-storage was originally a 
a North American phenomenon when it started. Then it's expanded to Canada. I've done some consulting work in in Canada on projects. They've been picking up on using self-storage for household goods and for businesses. In Europe, there's a whole different culture and history. Uh, There's not as much of the collecting history as we in the United States have. We collect and keep everything. If you would go to some of these auctions, self-storage auctions, you would see when they open the unit and they sell the goods and they start pulling stuff out, mostly it's things like old newspapers, old magazines. It's like stuff that nobody was ever going to use again. Right. In Europe, my perspective on it is that they don't have in Europe the same hoarding mentality as, and I, and I mean hoarding not like on television, like the extreme cases, right. but we hoard things and keep things. I mean, I have, I have a garage in my garage. I have a whole cabinet filled with old electronic parts you know, like uh, chargers and, and old parts to f- cameras I haven't owned in 30 years. So uh, we, tend to, we tend to save stuff. And in Europe also, there's a tradition of frugality, of saving uh, money. And uh, we haven't had that as much here. There's also a tendency to have sellers in, in uh, many European uh, countries. People store stuff in their cellars. That's true in the Northeast a little bit as well in, the, in Minnesota and Wisconsin is people have a basement or a storage place and they store down there. It's coming though. I've seen projects being announced in Europe. Uh, They're nice projects. One of the problems they got is the location. Getting a self-storage project to work in a dense metropolitan area is very difficult. So, but what I've seen is in, especially in in, uh, areas that are affluent, a rise in self-storage projects, but because they have a lot less density of um, people per square mile. But they also, you know, they have many times uh, condos. There's no room for storage. So you have a condo in the, in the south of Spain or you have a place in France. You really don't have a lot of extra room in many vacation kind of areas. So it, it's coming, but it's been really pretty slow. I love it. So as you're looking to grow the portfolio, What's your capital source? Are you out there raising money? Uh, do you work with institutional investors? How have you been doing that? Well, it depends on the partner, you know, because uh, many years ago I came to the conclusion that I work best with partners who can tell me when I'm, I'm not thinking straight or they can uh, catch me if I'm about ready to make a mistake and vice versa. The partner I started out with, I told you about earlier, basically he, he had so much money in the bank from his previous investments in self-storage that he just went to the bank and they loaned him the entire amount of money to build a project. Now those properties are almost all free and clear because he paid them off as we went along. Today, I personally like to have local partners. So for example, I mean, I live in Dallas and I've looked at projects recently in, in the Tucson, Phoenix area. And if I'm going to go down there, I want a local partner who's going to bring more than just money to a transaction. I want somebody who's going to bring their unique expertise, like a builder or like a management company. I'm looking for the deal first. And if you find a deal that works and tie it up and design it, you will find the money. There's no shortage of money in this country. In fact, since the dramatic expansion we've had in the money supply because of the the last recession, there's lots of money out there looking for deals and it's pretty afraid of risk, but there's a surplus of money. What's missing is a deal that makes sense. We're seeing the same thing in multifamily as well. There's a lot of money chasing a very small number of deals. If folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? 
they can either send me an email at my, uh, at my email, which is chuck at creative real estate network, all one word, dot com. Or uh, I do have a, one of the books I, I've written uh, on uh, how to buy uh, real estate using something other than cash. You know, I bought properties using land as a down payment to buy an improved property, as an example. They can uh, get a copy of that book by going to creativerealestatenetwork.com forward slash podcast. And I'll gift them that book in a, a digital format. I love it. So folks, definitely reach out to Chuck at creativerealestatenetwork.com forward slash podcast. Go get a copy of his free ebook. And in the meantime, thank you, Chuck, for joining us. Have a great rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow.